guys, welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. Um, look, I've been asked so many times to have this man back and I had to find the right moment to to get him back because I wanted to make sure he had a lot to get his his teeth into. I didn't want to rush it too much. So, you know, Philadelphia's finest, and I mean that seriously, Philadelphia's finest boxing brain is back with us. Greg Hack is back with us. Greg, welcome back. Um, I, what I can hey. say is from a UK perspective, the feedback was... It was a lot better than I thought because I, you know, I'm introducing you to the to a lot of my fans for the first time, and I think they just loved how you were able to make boxing feel very simple to them. Yeah, and they also like yeah. that that blue collar, hard nosed mindset that you have when it comes to boxing as well. I mean, I appreciate that a lot. Now, absolutely. So how so? How have you been? And and I, I want to start it with the because in the last conversation we we're talking about you training Gabe, and then yeah. not long after that, Gabe then switched to Freddie Roach, right? Yeah. And if I remember correctly, you were you were a little bit upset, and you weren't really upset that he went to Freddie. I think you were upset by his suggestion that he was going to get some kind of real training all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So how's that, how's that kind of worked out now? Are you guys communicating again, or is it kind of you just letting him do his own thing? Yeah, I mean, he he had, uh, he had made some comments on one of the uh, fight, one of the fight channels, like like one of the, I think it was a fight hype or something like that. And he had made some comments about, about you know, he was, for the first time in his career, like getting some, you know, having a real camp, things like that. Like, it was, you know, I just thought it was disrespectful to all the guys that had been in his corner in the past. And um, he called me, and he was saying, oh, he didn't mean it that way, and then he wasn't talking about me. And, you know, I'm like, well, I don't think it's fair to anybody because you came a long way from where you come from. You know what I mean? That didn't happen just because you decided to throw on gloves. Somebody had to teach you. So one of my mentors, you know, Billy Briscoe was his head trainer from the amateurs throughout the pros, not his entire career, but most of his career. So I just thought it was a little disrespectful, you know what I mean, to say, you know what I mean, we talked about it, got it off our chest, but you know what I mean, I wasn't looking to like patch things up to the point where he would decide to bring me back. I just wanted him to hear my opinion and how I felt about things, you know. Nah, then I understood because I was I was watching it from a distance and and his career's hit this really interesting period and I call it the the Eddie Hearn illusion. And what happens is a lot of people sign with Eddie because they assume what they see on TV is what you're going to get as a fighter. So if you look at Gabe, he's really treading water. There's no there's no plan for him because. As soon as Chavez came in overweight, I would have thought they would have just switched the fight up and gone, Gabe, you fight Danny Jacobs. And and so Gabe got left out of the picture, which tells me Hearn has, he doesn't see any upside in Gabe. Gabe's a guy to have as a, he fills the roster. I think that's the American expression, right? He's a, he just fills a slot in Eddie Hearn's roster. Yeah, makes sense. And so I worry about him because I'm like, well, what fights are you going to get fighting for matchroom? If you're boxing at 168, I don't think he he's got he's got access to Callum Smith and John Ryder. But you know, is that what is that what Gabe signed for? I don't know. 
he's definitely going to get, not going to get the Canelo shot because Eddie doesn't call the shots on that. Right. Absolutely right. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Do you think he's going to stay long with Freddie or do you think that will be a... Uh... I mean, I mean, to be honest, like you say, Trent Water, he may have three more fights altogether. Um, whether, he, you know, if he'll stay with Freddie or not, I don't know. And the whole Eddie Hearn thing, like you said, I mean, as of right now, because of his career, it's sort of like an illusion because where do you fit in that? And in order in order to fit in, you're not, you can't just win. You're going to have to hurt somebody. Gabe's going to have to knock somebody out. You know what I mean? He's going to have to make a big statement. Now, honestly, if it was me, I wouldn't even want to fight for Eddie Hearn anymore because if you paid attention, the last fight, Gabe had that was on the um, it was on uh, Chavez Jr. and uh, and Jacobs card. He fought as a swing bout, which is which is after the main event. The fans went so crazy they left after the main event. So he fought in the arena with maybe about fifteen people present. Um, I think that's disrespectful. On uh, I think it's disrespectful to Gabe and also on Eddie Hearn's behalf. To even have him fight as a swing bout. He was probably third or fourth popular on the card. You know what I mean? But, you know, things happen, you know? So I think the UK perspective, like we're, we're obviously, we're watching what Hearn's doing in America and we're just watching him slowly drown. And, you know, Uncle Bob and Uncle Al have really moved the chess pieces. So he's drowning. And the fact that you're now getting the crowd trouble at his events, we're watching yeah. this this slow decline. I, I I thought it was like I felt for Gabe. I'm like Gabe, you're fighting in an empty arena, and you're Gabe Rosado. Like there was a time when, I mean, you were the main event. Yeah. And so, and I don't even think it's a well, Gabe isn't really cutting it because the traction for Gabe Rosado in those sort of Latin American communities must be huge. Right. So we're looking at her and like, are you just dropping the ball in America now? Because really, he wanted America for Joshua. Let, let's let's strip everything away. He wanted America for Joshua. That right. Ru, that Ruiz thing messed it up. The fact that they yeah. can't get Wilder has messed all of that up. So all of a sudden now, Hearn's like, I don't really have many chess pieces. Right. And, and every time he puts Joshua into bat, it's 50-50 whether he's going to win or not. Absolutely. So, so it's it's interesting. I'd like you know, and and I know I know you have a relationship with Tevin Farmer. He's in the same position. You, you can't tell me now who Tevin Farmer is going to fight. Yeah. So if I'm Tevin Farmer, I'm looking going. Yeah, how do I get out of this situation? Absolutely. I would. I'd, I'd. If I'm Tevin Farmer, I'm saying to Hearn, build me up. And when you get to a certain point, just jump straight over to Al or Bob. <laughs> yep. because that's all he is really Hearn is just this really good mouthpiece like, so I don't know how, how close you are to it but we've been looking at this whole social media manipulation by some of these outlets now raging babes from your part of the world I think she was implicated in a lot of this shady behaviour where Dazone yeah. giving some of that marketing budget to these guys going look buy some YouTube views this is all alleged so I'm not making anything factual here but Buy some YouTube views, buy some Facebook retweet, uh, Twitter retweets, some Instagram likes, video views. So they try and make these things bigger than what they are. 
Because, yeah. Greg, come on, man. We're in the sport. We know boxing isn't really that big apart from the top, top level. Right. You know? And so when I see these things, and, you know, Hearn's at the heart of it, and he's a smart guy. He creates a solution that boxing is bigger than the NBA. Right. Which it's not. No, it's not. God, no. So, so I'm hoping Tevin Farmer sees the wood for the trees and goes, Hearn isn't going to deliver that for me. You're not going to get Teofimo. You're not going to get Javonte. You're not going to get Loma unless you yeah. jump on, on their ship. Yeah. Or, do, or at least be a free agent and do business with these people. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to see what he does with his career because, like, how long has he been with Hearn now? A year and a half or so? Maybe two years. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's also interesting that you asked me that because I saw, as I believe it was on Twitter, Tevin Farmer wrote uh, after he fights Jojo Diaz, everything goes his way. He said, "He says I know where I'm going to sign." So that was that was interesting. Yeah, I think people are beginning to realize that Bob and Bob and Al are definitely not letting Eddie grow. Yeah. You know, and were something to happen to Canelo and Golden Boy kind of loses its shine, then they'll be looking at Ryan Garcia. You know I mean, it's, it's in, this, this is an interesting time in boxing because this money can't last forever. No. So, no, I was, no. Just, I was just saying the money can't last forever. No, it's not. Because did you read they paid, what was it? They paid Devrianchenko $5 million to fight Golovkin. Wow. Yeah, Davichinko. And that's funny because a lot of people don't even know Davichinko. Never heard of him. People, whoever's, whoever's doing his business is doing a great job, I think. And that, that's be, and he only got the shot, what, he was mandatory, right? Yeah, I believe so, yep. Wow. No, and I guess we're, in, we're just in that crazy place. But I wanted to bring it back to something. And it was the Freddie Roach thing. Because... I get, I've been asked this a lot because in the UK, there's been a lot of boxers shifting trainers. So if you, if you, I don't know if you heard, but Josh Taylor has left his trainer, Shane McGuigan, and is now with Bob Arum. And I think he's looking for a new trainer now. And so what mm. I was saying to people was, this moving around of fighters from trainer to trainer to trainer, I think only sets you back. It's not a positive move because the person that made you normally understands you better than anyone else. Right. You know, and, and if, I'd like to know the American perspective on this, but if you, in the UK, it seems that people are looking for that perfect trainer, that trainer that's going to turn them into Floyd, not realizing yeah. that there's only one Floyd. That's true. So, so what's happening with the trainer thing is, is there's people inside the business um, who are getting in these fighters' heads and they're telling them, Oh, you need something new. You need something fresh. You know, you need something up to date. And fighters are looking at themselves fight, and they're, you know, they're not being honest with themselves about how they're living or the things they are choosing to uh, accept in their careers. You know, the things they're choosing to listen to or the things they're choosing not to listen to. You know what I mean? They just going, you know what? Yeah, I do need something new. So they get rid of the guy. Um, and it's not always the trainer. It's not always that the trainer is not enough. Sometimes the trainer also is not 
uh, flexible with the new decision maker. You know what I mean? They're not really like agreeing on bringing somebody in or training somewhere different because you know I remember trainers they have lives too. You know, so they have families, they have other fighters they train, and then sometimes these fighters, no matter where they're from, they want these uh, trainers to up just up and relocate for free. You know what I mean? You're not paying them more relocating. You want them to accept the same money. You know, maybe less. I mean, it's plenty it's plenty of reasons why these guys do this. But in America, we look at it like, okay, it's your choice, but if you don't if you don't go up a level then you're basically a fool. If you go up a level then I guess we'll we'll stick with you. You made the right move. You know what I mean? But only once in a while I feel like a guy should leave his trade. You know what I mean? Because I tell you what, when I'm contrasting, I find it really interesting when Joshua lost to Ruiz and people said, you need to leave McCracken. McCracken can't train you, this, that, and the other. And Joshua was smart. So what Joshua did is he kept Rob as head trainer and he said, Rob, take a step back and you be the eyes and ears. You be the experienced brain in this operation. And you got two young coaches. In, well, two, well, one's young, but one was an amateur. So he got a friend of mine, a guy called Angel Fernandez in and he brought in another guy. And what the one guy, Angel Fernandez, was there for the combination punching. Right. And, and the other guy called Joby was there for the footwork because he really, he buys into this whole Cuban thing of being fluid and relaxed. So what you saw in the second Ruiz fight in terms of footwork was Joby. What you saw in terms of like the punch choices was Angel. And on top of all of that, Rob McCracken would be sat there watching, making sure that Joshua is on point on everything that he does. Right. And then what happened in the fight? All Rob had to do was steer the ship for the 12 rounds. Right. Which, which I thought was a, it was a brilliant compromise because it kept the stability of the camp, but it brought in fresh ideas. And I think both guys will be with Joshua going forward now. So it will be interesting to see the, the impact they have when they get more time. Right. And, I mean, it, it depends on what you need to work on and it depends on the timing of it. Because what he may have needed for Ruiz, he may not need for uh, uh, Fury or either Wilder. He might need something totally different for those guys. You get what I'm saying? So, but you, but one thing I picked up on what you said was he kept his original coach because his original coach knows him better than anybody. You know what I mean? So he knows his breathing patterns. He knows when he's you know when he's bullshitting. He knows when he's overdoing it. So you got to have your overseer there say, you know what, take a little bit off the top. Or you know what, put a little bit more on the top. You know what I mean? But guys don't want to pay three, four, or five guys. So, you know, they chop it down to one. I'm going to just pick this one guy. And then when things don't happen with that one guy, they find another reason, another thing to blame it on. And that's the thing. I think it's the point, the point you made earlier is interesting. Fighters will blame everyone but themselves. Yeah, for sure. So when I talk to trainers in the UK after a fighter's lost, and I go, what was going on in camp? You know, you, you, and I'm sure you've heard these stories. He wasn't training like he should have been. He was still going out. You know, he wasn't doing the rest like he was supposed to. He wasn't sticking to the program. He wasn't taking sparring seriously. And then when you hear all of that, then you, it explains the performance. And a lot of times fighters will lie to the public and they'll tell you camp, camp's been fantastic. And then right. you hear about the disaster stories after the defeat. 
That's true. And the, and it will go back to something you said in the first the first time we spoke. You said in Philadelphia you can already fight by the time you get into the ring. And mm. I think that gives you a different mindset. In the UK, it's not a guarantee that you had any fights in the street before you get in the ring. We have a lot of nice guys that end up taking taking boxing up and they assume that you're not going to get hit, you're not going to get hurt, you're going to go in there, you're going to box skillfully, make a lot of money, become famous. So when right. when the violent part really happens and it doesn't go their way, they blame everyone but themselves because they say, look, I was supposed to be the world champion. Everyone told me I was going to be world champion. And now it turns out no one in your team knew what it took to be a world champion. Right. And as a result, you didn't know what it took to be a world champion. And now your career's in tatters. And there are a lot of young, talented British boxers in that position now. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and, and I don't know if it's the same over in, in the States where you know, kids are blowing it because they're getting in with the wrong people. I have no idea. But we've got that here where guys are picking up a set of pads a year down the line. They're, they look, you know, they're getting in amateurs' ears saying, I can turn you professional. And it's like, well, what do you really know? Right. <laughs> you, you know, is, is that the same in the States? Do you get those guys that just show up and everyone's like, I don't know where this guy's come from? Yeah, those are the guys who influence the fighters outside of the in boxing gym, you know what I mean? Those guys might have some money or, you know, they might be like a cool person or somebody who seems to know a lot. So, and it's, it's always refreshing, it's always refreshing to a fighter when somebody sees their ego. So, when they, after after years of going in the gym and you're facing the same guys and your trainers, these, you know, these they older and they, and they um, honest guys and they telling you the truth about yourself, and then you, you know, you get you get this career started. And you might go six and zero. You might go ten and zero. You might go fifteen and zero. You gonna always get a guy who, uh, it might be a woman too, but might might you gonna always get a guy where he pops up out of nowhere and he tell you to be you the best thing he ever saw, and then they tell you all these stories about you know how they can make you more money and how you can do this to make you more money. But all while you are picking up these new traits, you know you you spending less time in the gym. So then fight comes and it's the toughest fight of your life and you can't find a way out of it and you know you stop and look back and then next thing you know you blaming your coaches for not calling you at night and making sure you was in the house or not calling I mean for not calling and making sure that you was eating the right thing knowing you, you're a grown man you should have been doing those things on your own you know what I mean only only time a coach can watch you 100% is if y'all go away in a camp and y'all stay in a house or you know what I mean y'all all together at all times but that's almost impossible, especially for a man, a grown man. So, you know, it, it's the fighters, every fighter nowadays, they want to feel like they're famous. Even if they're not, they want to feel famous. So when that person comes around and blows their head up, you know, they forget. They forget that they got there through hard work and, 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 and working on their skills, you know. So they just, you know, they go crazy kind of, you know. No, you're absolutely right. And then following that, what did you make of Andy Ruiz in the second fight? I mean, he, honestly, he was being honest. He said, you know, I became a superstar overnight. You know, I was, he was being invited places he'd never been. So you have to understand, he wasn't just the new heavyweight champion. He was the first ever Mexican heavyweight champion of the world, ever. So 
not only did he make history, he made history twice. Um, he he or he instantly became a celebrity, a superstar, but but in a place where it's hard to earn respect because you got to fight to get everything you want. So where he wasn't once respected or talked to, he blew up. You know what I mean? And now he he's the guy that everybody's looking for. So they was. I felt like he was being pulled around, being invited to parties, and people was throwing all types of events and making sure he was there because of who he had became. But throughout that time, he forgot he needed to be in the gym because of the rematch. And he's still a beast, but he wasn't at his best. But I call him a beast because you still went 12 more rounds under a half-assed condition, one of the best in the world. You know what I mean? So... I take my hat off to both guys, you know? Because the thing I remember saying after the first fight was, Ruiz needs to be careful because this is half time. Like, he hasn't won properly till he wins the rematch. Mm. Because everyone knew the rematch was coming. There were only really two options with the rematch. It was either you do the rematch or you go, you know what, I'm vacating the belts. And then you go, right, I don't need the belts anymore. So once he said he was keeping the belts, you knew the rematch had to happen. And... And this is where in boxing, people don't realize if you don't have the right people around you, you blow it. Because look at what Joshua did. Low key. You didn't see him. Um, The Monday, if I remember correctly, the Monday after the fight, he was back hitting a bag. He was Mm. straight back training. And Mm. you never saw him overweight in that whole period. Even if when he went on holiday with his family, stayed in shape, kept working, kept grinding. And seeing the UK, I'm known as a bit of a Joshua hater. Never really understand why. I'm critical of him because he does a lot of stupid things. But one thing I respect about Joshua, he treats boxing like a job. Never overweight, never late. Every commitment he's invited to do, he does. But what he also says to his team is, it's your job to make sure I don't do too much. Right. And they protect him. Right. If you if if you give your team that kind of leeway, then that, that speaks a lot about who you are. Because with these guys is they like you said they watching Mayweather, and with Mayweather what they see is he's being a boss. But what they think is a what they think a boss is just bossing people around. They don't understand the responsibilities. They don't understand he has to still make sure that he's in great shape just in case he's called to perform. But, you know, these young guys, you know, they'll, they'll learn the hard way. Because that's how it goes. You know what? I met Floyd once uh, when he came to the UK with Javante. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> the most surreal thing ever. I was, I was in the hotel with the press conference. And I know the hotel pretty well because it's near my office. So we use it a lot. Right. So, so I, was taking the, I was taking the sneak exit to get out. And I bumped into Floyd and his team. Now I was dressed for work, so I looked like I looked like I was someone important. So I thought I'd play it off. So I just shouted out to him. I was like, "Hey, Floyd! Oh man, I haven't seen you since Vegas." And you know what? May- Mayweather's got that kind of ego. He doesn't want to look stupid in front of people, right? So he's like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." And I was like, "Right, I'm in now." <laughs> so, so we start we start talking boxing. We start just generally talking. I think I, I got about three and a half minutes with him. I checked, right, and. The thing I asked him that really impressed me, I said, so how much are you walking around at now? And he was like, I'm about 151 at the moment. Mm. 
And I just thought, what? Mm. And so I said to him, I was like, so if there was a belt on the line, you could go right now. He's like, absolutely. Mm. <laughs> and and then I, I, I stopped. Greg, honestly, I stopped. And here's why I stopped. Because I was like, I can't think of another boxer right now who's four pounds over their fight weight. Nah. Very rare. rare. And I'm like, but that's yeah. your, that's your, that's like your job. You, you, only, you have kind of two things you need to get right as a boxer. One, know how to fight. Two, be on weight. Yep. Two or, three, two or three times a year. That's it. Absolutely. Now, so so you enjoyed the Mayweather Ruiz fight then? You mean do you mean uh, Ruiz and uh, Joshua? I think I do. I want to pretend that I don't, but I think I do mean Joshua Ruiz. <laughs> yeah, the rematch. To be honest, I didn't get to see the whole entire fight, but I thought it was you know smart of uh, of Joshua to fight the way he fought, which was box and use the ring. Because if you've been hurt by a guy once, for sure it can happen again. And um, that showed me how much uh, having the titles meant to him, that he would go ahead and make the adjustments and um, get in the ring and perform, you know? No, you're absolutely right. Because I was watching it and I was like, I, I said, I need Ruiz to knock him out. And then after a while, you just realized, you realized, one, Ruiz hasn't done the work. Two, where where was the where was the tactical plan? That that was my first. Thing. I was like, well, Ruiz almost thinks it's going to be a repeat of the same fight. I think, I think we had spoken before, and everyone, I mean, we all agreed. Joshua needs to use his legs in the second fight. That was the general view. For sure. And I didn't see Ruiz trying to cut the ring off, trying to put that pressure on him, trying to bully him. It was. It was. A, What's the best way of putting it? It's as if Ruiz had just shown up on the night and someone had said, look, do you just want to fight Joshua? And he was, I'll try. Right. And so, like, I think he split with Manny Robles now, hasn't he? Yeah, I heard about that. And I think the rumor now is it's going to be Teddy Atlas. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> so... It, it, may be, it may be some things we don't know, you know? Exactly. So I'll be interested to see what the fallout from that is because I was surprised that Manny Robles was so honest about what had gone wrong straight after the fight, which I don't like to see because at the end of the day, like he was accountable for the Ruiz that showed up in that fight. Like if you had to drag him from his house, that's listen, that 10% man, that would have set you up for a long time. So you got to drag him out of the house. Yeah, that's true. So no, no. So that, that was. It was disappointing because now we're back to you know, are we going to get our undisputed champion? And now we obviously move to Fury versus Wilder too, which you know, I'm I'm as confused as I was for the first fight. I don't think we know anything more now, other than if Fury gets touched, it's going to be a problem for him, and if Wilder doesn't land, it's going to be a problem for him. Right. That's it. <laughs> it was one of those fights where you don't need any analysis because you know what both men can do and it's about who can do what they're good at. Yep. It's true. Someone asked you, what did you make of the move to, to Sugar Hill? Is it, yeah, Sugar Hill. 
Well, I actually saw a small interview on that, and uh, Fury, he just wanted to bring Sugar Hill in, and um, and I think he just wanted to change the atmosphere as far as training, but I didn't think he wanted to get rid of his trainer, but they said his trainer wasn't uh, too fond of that, of them going to uh, train in, uh, where are they training? I think in Detroit, maybe? They're in Vegas oh, now. Oh, they moved to Vegas. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. But I know his trainer is out of that crump system. So um, they moved to Vegas and trained. And I just, I, th- I think from what I heard was his trainer just wasn't okay with sharing that spot. So now him moving to Sugar Hill, um, I believe Sugar Hill can help him. You know, you can always get new information and you can always try to use the new information. But like you said, the fight comes down to him protecting his chin and him landing punches and uh, boxing. Wilder just has to get there and uh, make something happen. I mean, it's not really too much back and forth about this fight. Uh, if you like one guy, that's okay, but they damn sure can lose. Um, it's that good of a fight, um, that close of a fight. So, you know what I mean? Him going to Sugar Hill, to me, doesn't make too much of a dis- difference. Because I look at that and I go, after a certain point, you have the skills you have, right? And so what you what you want is you want a trainer that makes sure that on fight night you're at the top of your ability. And that's more a management role than than really teaching. The teaching's already happened in your career. Right. And, and a good trainer manages that process. So they'll manage how much you actually train. They'll manage your psychology. They'll manage the environment around you if you've got a good trainer. Right. And I think that's... Uh, it's interesting because his previous trainer, Ben Davidson, is a guy that that I know reasonably well, and I knew him when he had nothing. Like he was just this guy that that trained fighters that were kind of B and C level guys. And then right. he got he got the Fury gig, and th- there are rumors about what he was originally brought in to do. And it's but it was essentially to to look after Tyson, make sure Tyson didn't fall back into his old ways, and build a relate yeah build a relationship. And then Ben does his bid training. Ben's a hell of an analyst. Like he can analyze fights and so forth. And I yeah. think I think what Fury did, and Fury's a real as much as he plays the fool, he's a real boxing historian. He understands what's needed in the fight game. I think Fury probably just said, We need a seasoned hand here, Ben. You're you're 27, 28, you know, you're you're young in the game. We're going into these top level fights against guys like Mark Breland, you know, that sort of level of boxing intellect we need someone in our corner who's of that level and maybe right. and maybe ben just said well i've got you this far why don't you trust me anymore i don't want to go from being number one to number two right which in the short term you kind of understand about long long term you know sometimes you have to just play your position understood because Wilder's going to... I imagine Wilder will come with something completely different this time. So they'll, they'll find another way to land those bombs, you know? And you want someone that can react to that. Right. Because we, we've got trainers in the UK. I'll give you an example. Let me not name names. It got me in trouble last time. But we have trainers, and they'll train a fighter to a world title. First defense, lose the belt. Why? Because they can't adapt. So... We had, we had a British guy go to the States, went to New York, won a world title against the odds, 
They had the rematch six months later in Vegas. Complete tactical implosion. Like it just, it, it was all wrong. And, right. you, and you think to yourself, well, didn't you guys know what was going to happen when this guy came back? Didn't you know what was going to happen when his dad was better and his dad was able to be back in the corner? And so, and you have a lot of that in this country where we don't have guys that can win fight after fight. We don't have guys like Brother Nazim Richardson, you know, the Eddie Mustafa Muhammad's, the the real grizzled veterans that understand the game and can they can spot these things in a split second. And then, <laughs> yeah, no, no. So I was going to say. Maybe that's what Fury realized. Fury realized in the UK there isn't that guy that can give me that level of real understanding of of what's what I need to be at the top level year after year after year. I mean, to be honest, there's only probably two guys who might beat Fury, and right now that is Wilder, and I think the other one may be Joshua, maybe. But it's not like he's up and coming. He's he's for sure one of the best in the world. Um, is there more you can teach him? Like I said, yeah, there's more you can teach him. But it comes down to the, the night in the ring. You know, what I mean, your timing and everything have to be 100 percent in order you to get away. In order for you to get away from a situation with Wilder, because Wilder, like Wilder, made the statement. You know, I can lose. I can be losing a whole 11 rounds, and then in the 12th round. I hit you on the button, and this this whole thing could be over. That is true. So with that being true, you can be winning eleven straight rounds and still get knocked out. So I don't think it's it's really like a skill thing. I don't think it's a skill thing. I don't think it's a thing where he don't really so much believe in the coaches. I think he's just looking for some new energy, really. To be honest, because it's not much you can do. It's not much you really can. Do. I mean, what can you do? No, you're right. It's that strange thing. You, it's 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 one guy who just has this freakish power. So I've I've seen some of the guys that Fury's taken into camp with him. So he's got a young kid called George Fox with him, and yeah. and I knew I knew George because I used to work I used to work closely with his dad for a while, and I've also had guys box against him. Super heavyweight, 120 kilograms. He's about two meters tall. He's a big guy, but he's I tell you what he's like. He's like Malik Scott, in that if you tell him to box like Wilder, he'll box like Wilder. You tell him to box like Joshua, he'll box like Joshua. Right. And so they've got another kid called Jordan Thompson, who's a massive cruiserweight. I think he's about six five, six six. So they've got him in right. for the speed, I think. And then I imagine Fury will get some of the American guys in. We know, like he did last time. Uh, and and you, I suspect you'll see Malik Scott appear somewhere. He always does in these sorts of fights. For sure, you know, you know. Have you have you had any interactions with Malik Scott? Uh, it's been a few years, but we we still talk on uh, social media. Yeah, that's in, he leads a very interesting life. That's, that's the only way I can describe it. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's like a role model for all men around the world. <laughs> but though I'll tell you there was one time I did see him he was sparring Joseph Parker in London and you watched him and you thought if he just had that bit of devil in him 
Ah, he'd had a world title because he was playing with Parker. Yeah, absolutely. And that's when I had I lost respect for Parker. I was just went, how did this guy get a WBO belt? Like in Britain, we have this expression that there's a chance that Derek Chisora will never win a world title, yet Joseph Parker had one. Right. And like it, it baffles us. Like how, how on earth is how on earth did he manage to win one? Because he's he's not that great. No. I think um, for Malik, I think, I mean, I can't, it's hard to pinpoint it. I think because he's not a big puncher, you know, a lot of people are not interested in him being a heavyweight. You know what I mean? I think if maybe if he was a middleweight or something, he'll be definitely champion. He could definitely very well be champion heavyweight, but nowadays we're looking at popularity contests. You know what I mean? So, so people are looking for those who can sell tickets. It's not really about those who can actually fight. When it comes to skills, you know, I said it one time on an interview, and the guy kind of laughed, and he said, well, who do you think is some of the best skilled heavyweights? And Malik Scott was in one of my, he was like top my top three or four or whatever, and the guy started laughing, and but I had to make him understand, like, no, this guy can box anybody in, in any given time. You know what I mean? But he's not a powerful guy. And I think the guy was like laughing only because he really don't even know Malik Scott. You know what I mean? So that's the kind of that's the kind of thing we're dealing with here. People are uneducated and because they don't know, they sleep on people, you know what I mean? But it's, there's millions of guys like that. You know what I mean? Which is interesting because I was talking to a guy that I used to train as an amateur, really. He's a, well, I, I mean, John, John's a good friend of mine. So we were talking because he boxed in a tournament just before Christmas and he by his own admission he underperformed and so we had a conversation about it mm-hmm. and he was like he, I remember him saying I was trying to outbox the guy and I was like look you've got three three minute rounds right there are times in life to box and there are times in life where you've just got to stand in the middle of the ring and bang out because two things one that's how you get the win sometimes you have to win ugly but secondly people treat heavyweights differently. Like no one watches a heavyweight boxing fight to to see the sweet signs without the bombs. Like the bombs have right. to come. Have to come. You can have all the skill in the world. It's like Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier had a lot of skill. But when that left hook landed, woo. Right, sure. Even Foreman, for all of his, you know, cavemen like what Foreman had skill. He was a smart guy. He knew what to do in the ring. But when he touched you, and it didn't even look like it was supposed to hurt, and people fell over. Yeah. <laughs> and and and, so, and in that way, the heavyweights are just—it's it's a different breed, man. Like you're looking for—you just want those freakish moments when you watch heavyweights box. Yeah, that's just, that's basically what it is. And that's how Golovkin made his career because he was a middleweight delivering those sort of heavyweight moments where people were just getting—I mean, left. Sleeping on the canvas. Yeah. And the knockoff. People live for the knockoff. Yeah, that's how you make the money. You know, the, the skill's good as long as it leads to the knockout. And I think we touched on this last time, didn't we, with Tevin Farmer, where we said, for all the times Tevin Farmer makes people miss, sometimes you just want to see him punish someone, you know, you know break their soul. Right. Because yeah, the scientific bit, if you're a purist, you watch it and go, ooh, that's amazing. But then sometimes you're like, nah, just 
you know, give him a few black eyes. Let him know that, you know, Tevin Farmer's not to be played with. Right. And that's why he's not. That's why he's not as popular as uh, uh, Tank Davis or or maybe a Gary Russell is because the, the knockouts are not there. Yeah. You know I mean, the skills the skill set is definitely there, but the knockouts aren't there. Whereas with, with Davis, you watch a Davis fight, you'll see the skill and you'll see the defense. You'll see all, all the things you want to see. But you're going to see those ripping left uppercuts, right hooks, right uppercuts, left hooks. And you go, okay, yeah. he hasn't come here for the 12 rounds. Yeah, you want to see a killer. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you as well, because it's good that I get to, to tick all the boxes from the last conversation. So, J-Rock. Ooh. Yes, sir. Wow. I I thought he slept on the guy. Yeah. Because so I think and correct me if I'm wrong, in America there there are two areas I look to and I go, these are real fight centers. One is that kind of Philadelphia, New York kind of DC corridor. And I'm like, there are guys here who can really box. They're real tough guys here who can fight. That's one side mm. of it. The other side is that kind of Illinois, Michigan, Ohio belt. Just up there. And, and I think the kid J-Rock fought was from Ohio. I'd seen one of his fights a few years ago. And I was like, that guy has a real snappy right hand and it looks like it puts people down. And it just, I was watching, I was watching the fight. I watched it after it happened. And you'll know J-Rock better than I do. But it looked like he took the guy lightly. And then when the power came, it was so much of a surprise that psychologically he wasn't ready for that. Yeah. Well, it was, <clears throat> I mean, of course we've been talking about this fight for, you know, this whole week because it happened in Philadelphia. It happened to a Philadelphia fighter. Um, he's one of the best fighters in the world and he's definitely one of the best in our city. Um, my feelings have been that he definitely left on the guy a little bit, not to the point where he wouldn't have a proper training camp. I believe he had a proper training camp. But I thought after the first round and he landed some good punches early on, because usually the first two, three rounds are the fill-out round. And you might land a shot, but not not something too clean or flush. But he landed some flush right hands, a couple good little hooks, some jabs to the body, a couple right hands to the body. It was it was to the point where he knew he could put his hands on the guy. But then come the second round, I think he got a little carried away and ended up getting cut um, watching his work. What I mean by watching his work is he would let a combination go, but instead of rolling out, pivoting around, he kind of would stand in front of the guy a little bit. The guy started countering. He ended up hitting J-Rock a couple times, ended up cutting his eye. And I think after having his eye cut, he kind of panicked a little bit. And with him panicking, he began fighting harder and putting himself in the line of danger instead of just getting back behind his jab and, you know, trying to pull it out on point or just slowing the guy down and seeing if you can get to him later on. Um, he kind of picked up the pace of the guy. It was a little too much because of the guy's power. And, I mean, and, you know, you see the result. I mean, I think he should have just took his time, um, placed his shot, slowed the guy down, and maybe went for the knockout later on, or just for the fact that you was fighting at home, played the safe, and just got the win. 
you know what I mean? But the atmosphere, I feel like it was a lot for him at that time. That was, and and it's interesting, isn't it? Because you look at that division now, and there's no one who's really unbeaten at 154 now, right? They've all kind of taken losses against each other. Yeah, nobody, at this moment, nobody can claim king. And I look at that and I go, it, it, it's, it's, it's what we love about that division where we go, ah, you can put anyone in with anyone. It's an entertaining fight and it's a pick em. And yeah. when, when I watch that, I just think it's a shame Kel Brook didn't make that jump when he had the opportunity because he would have been an interesting name to throw in that mix. For sure. Because he's fighting again in two weeks. And so I was talking to some friends of mine who, who know... We all know Kel because we all kind of trained together in our younger years. And we're saying that. We're saying he he must be the worst managed and promoted boxer we can think of. Because that win against Sean Porter, it gets better with every year. Yeah, it's true. Because it's not even a, it's not even a question of, oh, it was a debatable decision. Like Kel Brook comfortably won the fight against, he tamed the beast in a way that Danny struggled with, Earl struggled with, Keith struggled. They all struggled to tame the beast, but Kel, yeah, he he did what he had to do. I think, and this is another British problem, we never prepare our guys to be at the top. So when I look at someone like Errol Spence, by the time he fought for that title, look at the trail of destruction. He had guys like Van Heerden on his record. I think he had Lamont Peterson, or was that afterwards? It was probably afterwards. But they built him carefully. And yeah. With Kel, Kel never had those sorts of fights. The, the toughest fights he had were Carson Jones. Mm. So he never had a Tim Bradley. He never had a Devin Alexander. He never had those right. sorts of fights that let him know what it's like at the top. So he wins right. the title and they give him guys like Jojo Dan and Kevin Bizier, who I don't think any American would have ever fought as title defenses, if I'm being honest with you. Right. So he has this career where nothing happens for him and then they go, right, fight Golovkin. Mm. And you've never been prepared for that that level of fight. And so you look at him and you go, had they managed his career properly, I'd love to have seen Kel fight Floyd after Sean Porter. That would have been, he would have deserved that. And right. and they, an, another Eddie Hearn fuck up. How do you get yeah. that wrong? I don't know, man. <laughs> Crazy. And, and you know, I know Jared Hurd's now calling out Kell Brook. Now he's saying he wants that Kell Brook fight. Because, you know, he's seen, the, he's seen the DAZN money and he's like, I can get some of that DAZN money for fighting Kell Brook. I'll take it. For sure. You know, but uh, I think 154 is that division we watched, like we used to watch 147 for those entertaining fights, you know, the fight of the year contender. Yeah, it's the most... It's the most exciting uh, division right now in boxing simply because these guys, it, the belt basically went in a circle. Um, and now they're in the hands of a guy that nobody ever even thought of winning because, again, popularity. Uh, we only saw this guy fight over here maybe a couple times being from the Dominican Republic. And, yeah, he's put on some good shows. Um, he's lost to what you may call a B minus C plus fighter in Nathaniel Gallimore. Yeah. Um, 
but is a strong fighter. So maybe he was overlooked for sure. He, you know, was overlooked, but he had, if you let him tell it, he had a four month camp and he was hungry. And, you know, you see what that hunger can get you. No, you can't, you can't make, and you can't manufacture, you can't manufacture mindset. Like you can't. It's not that, at all. That's either in you or it's not, and it doesn't come in a camp. That's that's years of, you know, not having what you think you deserve, and then putting that work in. Right. Right. No, no, no. Because, I remember we spoke before, and you were talking about you know J Rock's one of the best guys boxing out of Philly. Well, yes, you, you guys are getting that momentum now. I'm seeing, you know, the Philadelphia guys are up there. Danny's fighting on Saturday, right? Yeah, Danny, uh, Danny Swift Garcia, and we also have uh, Steve Coolboy Fulton. Yes. Who's 122-pound IBO champion of the world. Uh, be interesting. Put him in with Isaac Dogbo. I'd like to see that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, um, especially at this moment, Dogbo has took some um, tough losses. I think it would be a good fight for both, but I think uh, Coolboy would have the advantage as far as momentum, and I think he would actually uh, he would beat Dogbo. So Isaac's an interesting story. He's yeah. like I said about Kel Brook. He's that sort of character where it's it's. I don't want to say it's tragic because that's not fair, but. I he when he was a young kid, like he used to train in our gym, and yeah. and he was a hell of a talent. Right. Britain didn't want him in the Olympic squad for whatever reason, no idea. So he goes and boxes for Ghana, does the twenty twelve Olympics, gets robbed. Probably should have got a bronze medal in that Olympics. Right. No, no British promoter wanted wanted to touch him. I think they just didn't want to deal with his father or something like that. You know, but you know how promoters always want to control you. Yeah, and then, yeah. And then the father's like, "Well, no, I can't let you control my son. That's my son." And they said, "Well, we can't work with you." So they've done this really hard circuit of winning all of these sort of WBO belts here, there, and everywhere. By the time he makes world champion, it's almost like Bob Arum realized he can't sell Isaac in the UK. And so he's just gone, right. I'll feed him to any Mexican that I can because that's how I'm going to get my money back on Isaac. Because he should never have fought that guy. The guy was all wrong for him. And, you know, Isaac, yeah. being, Isaac being the warrior that he is took the fight. And so hopefully they'll give him a, a run now where he gets to fight guys that he can be competitive with and then he can rebuild. Because you know what's crazy, Greg? I don't even think Isaac's 25 yet. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. I actually trained around him and his father for about, for maybe about six months. Yeah, great kid, isn't he? Yeah, they real cool. Him and his father, and um, he's definitely a hard worker in the gym. Works very hard in the gym. Yeah, dedicated. Now, and and the thing is, always done with a smile. Yep, for sure. No, so that that would be a good fight. You know what I mean? You put yeah, Fulton against Dogbo is a fight. I'd it's something I'd sign up for. And I'm trying yeah, to think because you had a guy box not long ago, right? Which one? Paul uh, Crow. Oh yeah, yeah. He fought uh, last week. Paul Crow, hundred forty-seven pounds. 
So that's that's who you're working with now, right? Yes, sir. That's um, 147 pounds. He's seven and old, six knockouts. Yep. <laughs> I've been working with him for his last five fights. But would you? What's my that? So how's that going? Because this is kind of I'm like just, your run now as a proper like as the the brains behind the operation. Um, pretty good, honestly. Um, I just. I mean, there's things that I, sometimes I suggest and, I, and that I would like to do, and I see that they fall in place at different times. Everything doesn't go my way, but it, but we, you know, we 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 get the job done, and that's what I like about working with Paul. With Paul, Paul's the type of guy he can have, you know, the flu the week before, and then the week of he'll he'll show up, or the night of the fight he'll show up with no excuses. Um. He's just that type of guy, you know what I mean? He don't do everything I like him to do, but he works hard and he, uh, you know, he goes in there and he, he fights his ass off. Nah, no, this, I'm, I'm always that guy that says I respect guys who, who, who train fighters. And here's the reason why. People mm-hmm. think it's easy. Like you see the pad videos, you see all that and it, it looks slick and it looks it looks like yeah you know I could do that, but they don't right. think about the management side of it. How's no, his, not yeah? How's his weight doing? Oh oh, he's cutting weight. So if he's cutting weight, what can we actually train? Uh, sparring didn't go that well today. Uh, how do I bring him back up because we've still got a spar in two days time? You know these these things that that you know trainers you live with it. Right. And, you don't live with it normally. You don't live with it for just one fighter. There's another fighter, then another fighter, then another fighter, and two. You know, most people run with about four or five guys, and they don't realize how hard that is. Right. And essentially, look, you know this. At trainers, we're, trainers at the bottom of the food chain, which still remains the biggest injustice in boxing. Like, how how can you be a trainer and not have a contract, but a manager can have a contract who does virtually nothing but answer a phone. Yeah, and I mean the the reason the reason I think that they they do not not give trainers respect in the sport is because <laughs> excuse me if you have a trainer <laughs> excuse me if you have a trainer who actually cares about his fighter and then he somewhat uh, can work his way into a, having partial management position then you as a promoter or an advisor or whatever else is going to have some trouble because the, the trainer is going to speak up for his fighter. The trainer is the one who knows all the deep, dark secrets about these fighters. Um, the managers sometimes don't even know. The managers, they speak real highly sometimes, but they you ask them how much time have they spent around the fighter, and then they'll they'll be lying, lying if they said they more, more than a week, you know? So the trainers kind of get kind of get talked about as if they're uh, replaceable. And then they talk about it so much that the fighters start to believe it. And then they don't find out until they leave that, you know, it's not true. Just, you know, up and switching trainers and going somewhere where the weather is nice and there's supposed to be famous trainers and famous fighters and everything's going to go your way. Then they go, they make that move and they find out it's not true. And it's so hard to come back because, they got to swallow the pride. And you don't want to swallow the pride when you King Kong or supposedly. Um, so 
I think it is crazy that the trainers don't have no type of contract and they always being asked to adjust the payments. Um, you know, but I think also the day is coming where you you seeing so many fake trainers in the game, it's going to separate who's the real and who's not, you know? I hope so. But I think as long as we've got this boxing bubble where there's there's too much money in the sport, and I, and I know people will be upset when I say that, but I mean, there's more money in the sport than the sport generates at the moment. So everyone's jumping in on that going, let me get my slice of that. What will happen is eventually guys like DeZone will go, we're not spending this much money. It doesn't make any sense. ESPN will go, we're not spending this much money. This digital thing ain't working anymore. And Fox will say the same thing. And then all of those guys will drift back out of boxing. They'll go, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to go and do that MMA thing. It looks like there's still money in that. And then they'll go and become experts in MMA. And then you'll just get the, the quality back into boxing again. Right. Until the next bubble. Then these same guys will come back from MMA into boxing. Right. And and it's 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 one of those frustrating things. I'd love there to be contracts. I think trainers should have contracts. And it does two things in my opinion, Greg. It forces you to choose the right trainer. Because now you're like, I might be with this guy for the next three years. Right. And what that might even do is it might make you go. Let me stay with the guy that I had in the amateurs. And that's happening a lot in the UK at the moment. A lot of guys are just sticking with their amateur coach. And they're saying, look, you're the guy that got me this far. I don't think there are many guys better than you in this country. I'm going to stick with you. Right. And it, for, for some guys, it seems to be working. So Joshua Bartz, he's kept his amateur coach as part of the team. Right. But we that's still not what I call battle-tested yet. So he hasn't been tested against an elite-level trainer yet. So we'll see what happens when, when obviously, the he's in the mix for the world titles and see if that formula works. But that seems to be the where we're headed in the UK. Because you think about it, Greg. You take an amateur from 11 to 18, right? Yeah. You win all the titles. You do this. You do that. You do all for free. It's very hard to hand them over to someone else now and go, well, here's a fully formed boxer. Now you go and make millions from this guy. And so I think, yes, yeah. yeah, so I think that's what you're going to end up seeing. I don't know if it's the same over where you are, but over here, definitely. But actually, it's interesting in America because your amateur system seems to get the pro guys in to help the, the amateurs develop. Yeah, sometimes. Because... You, you you know they ah it's funny it's you know what man to be honest I'm be totally honest I hate I hate amateur boxing because it's so political is I can't say it's more political than the pros but it's damn near close because these guys I'm watching these guys pick and they pick guys that they want to win way before they even tested and as long as they have a certain trainer or they come from a certain gym you know what i mean they, they almost get in the wins based off of that it's not really like they're fighting for it you know um and also they going with they going with the favorites they playing the popularity game the popularity game has become so crazy that the amateurs are are being affected by that and um i mean it's 
it just takes away from the guys who love it, who really love the sport, and the guys who really want to be something, and the guys willing to do anything to become the best. Um, you know, it takes a lot. It takes a lot from them when you're robbing these kids. You know, our system. I really don't like our amateur system. You know what I mean? But it is what it is. I tell you what I do love. I love the fact that the pains of amateur boxing are universal. So, so I speak. Oh, yeah. I speak as a guy who I trained a kid, and it's only now that he's with the with the British squad. He's finally made it in at super heavyweight, mm-hmm. and. All the time we were talking, we're like, look, we've got the best super heavyweight here, man. It's not a debate. Let, let him come up and spar Joshua. You don't believe us? Look, he's broken David Hayes' nose. He, 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 he can do damage. And they were just like, no, no, no. So this kid had to go the hard way. And I think he did about three or four assessments before they let him in. But then there were other guys mm. who were getting in because they were friends with another guy. Like They, they have their favorite clubs as well. Anything that's close to the facility has an advantage because you can just go there and spar. So you're visible. Whereas if you're like we are in London, which is three hours drive, it's hard to get up there to go sparring. Right. So the squad we send out, like you said, is not the guys who are battle hardened because they pick these guys up and then they, they shelter them. So they don't do the national competitions. So once you're in that system, we don't see you again. Okay. And even the trainers, I see some of these guys and they're still doing the, the stuff from like 1996. And you're right. like, I, it's like, bro, it's like, mate, I don't know if that's going to work. And then I compare it with America. Like America, you, I think they, at various points, you've had guys like Augie Sanchez as part of the team. I think uh, Barry Hunter's been part of the team, right? Right, that's true. These are guys who I respect, like just just knowing their heritage in the sport, I respect. But we have like seven clowns from this club and that club. No one knows who these guys are. Like we don't know what their pedigree is. Right. And so we get these guys who, like I was watching video clips there. There's a few of them at, at a camp in Kazakhstan. And they're getting touched up in Kazakhstan because... Those guys are really about it. Like, if you're boxing for Kazakhstan, you've been to hell and back. Right. Because that's like their national sport. So now our guys are realizing what it's like to be hungry and know that you boxing for your country is the biggest thing you'll ever do in your life. And they're, they're learning the hard way out there. But you know, you're absolutely right. Like, the, the amateur system is horribly broken. Well, I think the pro system's broken in many ways as well because like you have the same issues there where it's all political and the judging is terrible it's just great thinking about it I mean I also I don't like that when you make it to the Olympics you have a national coach with you instead of your original coach I really I really don't like that I really I'm, I'm against that whole thing because under pressure, you're being asked to listen to someone that you just met. I don't think that mixes too well. Or you may be given false information, like Earl Spence was given in the Olympics when he kept being told that he was winning the rounds. And then they got to the last uh, last round, and I think he was trying to catch up. And it just didn't work. It is. Just, 
and you know this, Greg, under pressure, you're really looking for anything familiar, right? So as soon as you hear that voice you've heard for years that says, I need you to throw your jab, your brain locks into it and goes, okay, that makes perfect sense to me. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise there's some old man in a tracksuit just talking. Right. Which, I, it's, it's, we'll see this year. I think, I think for both Olympic squads, America and the UK, this is one of those important years because America's spending more money, Britain's spending more money. If they don't get the gold medals, they'll be back to spending less money again. And maybe that will help the guys who are building fighters from scratch. Right. We'll see, hopefully, right? <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And then I've done other things I wanted to touch on because I think sometimes we get too deep into the boxing because one of the things, and I hope everyone listening jumps on your Instagram and follows you, is, you know, there are times I'll scroll through your Instagram and serious boxing posts, serious boxing posts, and then I'll just read something and it'll go, or something like, see, I told you women don't know what the hell they want. I saw that picture the other day. When I was just refreshing my memory. <laughs> and for anyone that wants to know what we're laughing about, just go on his profile and scroll down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's, it's, it's hilarious. And these are the sorts of things that, you know, when you get too serious into boxing, you need to, you need to, just, you need to just break out of that. Um, right. Ah, because I know you're a fan of Josh Kelly, so here's something. I'm hearing that he's going to fight this David Av- Avanesian. You know the guy that beat Lamont Peterson? Mm. You, you know the, the, I think he's Armenian, and he beat Lamont Peterson for the WBA. Yeah. yeah I got to so, check him. Yeah, that's who Josh Kelly's got next. So we're going to find out if Josh Kelly is as real as people think he is. I think, I think, I think Josh Kelly is real, but I think what it is is his education is limited. So it's like, so you ever see a kid who's like in the ninth grade and he can play with the other high school kids because he's bigger. But when he gets to college, there's other kids just as big. Yeah. And where he used to average 25, now he only averages 15 or 12. Because he's now running with guys the same skill set or they have seen something similar in him, you know, that he thought was something new. And now it's kind of like not backfiring, but it's like, it's more like, come on, champ, you got to show me something else. Because that's what us, that's what our, us crafty fighters, we do. When we go in there and we fight these guys who they think is going to be the next best thing, the first thing we look to do is embarrass them. So where he think he's pulling out something new, you saying to yourself, shit, Roy Jones did that in 96. And I grew up off of Roy Jones. So ain't no way I'm going to let you hit me with that. <laughs> and then you show me something else, and I go, well, shit. And I see my man was doing that in 98. No way I'll let you hit me with that. And then you try to go deeper in, in your book, and you pull out some Floyd shit. And you're like, well, I seen that too in 2005. You know what I mean, that's what Josh Kelly is realizing that he needs to make some adjustments and he needs to go to school just a little bit and work on some things. I think he's real. I think he can fight, but I just think he's very limited because of the education. 
But how long do you leave it? Because he's what? He's got to be 27, 28 now. And yeah, I think he just needs to bring somebody in just to make some adjustments. That's all. Uh, I know the camp he's in, it, it won't be that easy. So <laughs> um, I've got to choose my words carefully here because I might actually have to face this guy soon. <laughs> but Adam Booth has a very clear way that he wants to train people. And Understood. if you said, look, I want to bring Greg Hackett in to give me a little extra X, Y, Z, he wouldn't be too fond of that. Like he's one of these guys that he only lets you step outside to other people he trusts. Right. So he's got a guy called Richard Towers who is a good friend of mine, but and he's based up in Sheffield, which is about three hours north of where I am. Now, Richard is a hell of a boxing brain, and I can see why Adam trusts him, but that's probably the only person you could go to. Adam's really, right. really, really strict. So as long as Josh is in that camp, that's what he's going to do because they all fight a similar way. So there's a young lady called Shannon Courtney. Feel free to, to find her on Instagram and you'll see her fight. And she's got okay. the same Josh Taylor moves, but she's a bantamweight. So she's 118. Okay. And they're all coming off the production line like that with that kind of, that jerky motion. But I think my issue with it is the footwork's not quite what it needs to be. If you're going to have that sort of style, you need to have the footwork as well, but you need to also have that self-control where you can let shots go from unusual positions. Right. Or guys will just walk you down. And then they just wait for you to plant your feet and they go, okay, now it's my turn. Understood. So who else in the UK are you guys keeping an eye out for? Because I'm hearing a lot of like America getting excited about Daniel Dubois. Um, as uh, a heavyweight, that's, that's funny. That's who I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say Dubois and the kid uh, Taylor. Um, those are the ones I've been hearing the, uh, the most about. Um, Dubois to me is is very strong, very explosive. But again, I think it, it comes down to, uh, to, to to education. He needs to be up against a little bit more better skills, and he should be working on a little bit more better skills. But, I mean, I like them, though. I definitely like them. I mean, there's a lot of heavyweights over there, too. And I like what they bring into the table because they're making the game interesting. I always love when, when the world is involved. I hate when it's just Americans or just Mexicans or just Cubans. Or, you know what I mean? I love when the world is involved and in, 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 um, because it makes things way more interesting. And um, I see that it's a lot of heavyweights coming from over there. And Dubai definitely is, is being talked about over here. Yeah, I'll tell you who, who I'm still waiting to see cross over. The, the, the kid, Tony Yoka. Tony Yoka. We'll wait to see. Ah, so he won the Olympic gold at Super Heavy 2016. Okay. And then box, he's a heavyweight. Uh, what's he? He's got to be six foot seven, about 250 okay. pounds. Solid. Okay. Solid. Was training with Virgil Hunter, actually. I don't know what his situation is at the moment. He had a year banned for missing his drugs test. Uh, so he's on his way back so it's him there's a kid called Philip Hergovic a Croatian guy as well now another 6 foot 6 giant and these the, I can see why Fury's getting nervous because you've got this next wave of guys that are big strong and can really fight and it's like well I want to make my millions before I have to deal with it, with that problem right 
because I look at Dubois, Dubois has got to be a year and a half away from being mandatory. Yoka, another year and a half from being mandatory. And probably the same with Filip Hergovic. Right. So, like, when you look at that heavyweight picture now, it's getting super exciting in terms of, you know, we want to go probably from Wilder Fury into the talks, and it's got to be one of those two against Joshua at some point this year. And then, and then it, it, we're trying to just get those belts swept up, give it to one owner, if nothing else. Right. But we have to get you watching more British boxing, Greg. Man, come on. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to catch up, man. It's, it's you know what it's you know what it is. It's kind of like it, it's not like they're coming over one at a time. It's like it's, it's a million guys I'm trying to look at, <laughs> but it's, but it's only a few of them that's like they hitting like that that international uh, TV. You know where what I mean is like when Dubai knocked he knocked that Asian guy out. That that video was all over the world. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so those are the things that we're catching first. And then sometimes when I tune into my zone, I, I might catch a few names on there, you know, on the zone stuff like that. But it's hard. It's kind of I ain't gonna be I ain't gonna I ain't gonna lie. It's kind of hard to uh, keep up with right now, <laughs> especially uh, with me coaching and stuff. Nah, nah. Listen, <laughs> nah, I feel your pain, man. Nah, by the time you get in, you're almost like, Do you know what? Let me not watch any boxing for a while. I want to watch something else, man. Like, can I watch? I don't know, Seinfeld or something. <laughs> Actually, you know, while I've got you here, man, which is your favorite Rocky film? Because I know you're from Philly. You have to have one. I mean, if, if, if it is going to be one, it's going to be the first one, you know, because that was the, I guess that was the introduction to Rocky, you know, and to, uh, it was it was just a good story to me. To me, that Rocky, it, it's a lot of truth to it because they did spend time around a lot of fighters and stuff like that and got some good stories. But um, I guess it would be the first one. See, cause just, just because... Yeah, go ahead. For me, it was number six. So you know the one they did about twelve years ago, where with Tarver. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I because and people think I'm the strange one for for saying that one, but I watch that and I go, this is probably the only Rocky I watch, and I go, it feels like the boxing we were watching back then because obviously they used the the whole HBO thing, didn't they? Yeah. 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 They did. And Tar and Tarver looked good in that. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Like you know, you know, you'd expect it because he's a legit world champion. But Tarver looked good in that. Right, he did. You know, and I, I think some of those shots were real. Like, like Stallone had to take some of those shots. He's like, yeah, I had to take some of those. <laughs> they said he. They said he took some shots back in the day from Durant. <laughs> and then decided against getting a real boxer in. <laughs> yeah, sure. Who else did that? I think Foreman. I think they had Foreman in as well. Yeah, they had. I mean, they had. It was around a lot of guys throughout the years. You know, some people became fans, and some people, you know, they just. I guess because it was a chance to have fighters on TV outside of boxing. You know, like you know, being famous as far as a movie and stuff like that. So, you know. No, nah, no, nah, mate. I can't. I, I can't lie. I still sit there because I've got a station, and it's like twenty four seven Rocky. They just have them on loop. Yeah, so I can yeah. just I, I I can sit there and lose lose a day doing that. I'm not gonna lie. Damn. Nah, you know that's what boxing does to you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, nah, so just conscious of time, man. I need to get your your prediction, Danny Garcia. You know, we got we've got to we've got to bang the drum for the Philly guys here. You think Danny gets the job I mean, done? 
I mean, Danny Garcia, um, I say with, within four rounds, five rounds, uh, break down to the body, slow red cocks, uh, red cocks up, uh, slow them down a little bit, and then go ahead and knock them out in the fourth or fifth round. I'd be surprised if they go the distance, especially with the camp Danny had. I, I saw Danny in camp. I got to see him about seven times. Um, he was he was like the way his weight was coming down, the way he was looking at sparring. I mean, you could tell he had a great camp, and I and I agree. I thought he did. And you know what I really like about Danny Garcia is he's one of these boxers who's never he's not serious on social media. He's funny. Yeah, he's funny as shit. He got a, he got a sense of humor. Yeah, he's one of these guys where when you follow him, you're like, I'm not going to get the standard boxer hitting a bag or, you know, pictures of food. I'm going to get someone just showing us, look, I'm just enjoying life. And I think that makes me a bigger Danny Garcia fan. Like, I was a fan of his when he knocked out Khan. I think that's when it really it started for me. But actually, you know, maybe the Morales fights as well. I thought he did well in those Morales fights because... Morales caused him, he caused him the kind of problems you want to have before you get to the top because then it's not a surprise when you're at the top. Right. That's true. Yeah, because I think they fought twice, right? Yeah, they fought twice. And he, he told, he actually, that's funny, that's funny because we talked about this a couple weeks back. And he he told me one of the things that threw him off was the rhythm, the rhythm that Morales fought at. He said he it was hard for him to pick up on. It's his timing, you know. Because he doesn't it it's it, like a lot of those Mexican guys is kind of offbeat. They'll they'll move around and then out of nowhere they'll just shoot either an uppercut or a hook. Yeah, something. Yeah, and you <laughs> and you can't read it because. For them, it's it's so natural. They just go ah, bounce, 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 and then da 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 da, da and they're out again. Right, crazy rhythm. And I think the speed also because Morales is a naturally smaller fighter, so the hand speed was giving them trouble too. But I think, like you said, it helped them also. Yeah, no, it's, I, I actually enjoyed those fights. And then I, you know, enjoyed the Khan knockout. And that's when I was like, nah, I'll always be a Danny Garcia fan. Because that was, like, from a British perspective, and we're, we're, quite, we're quite sick like that. We, we needed to see that kind of knockout for Khan. Because I think we were, we were watching that going, he's getting a bit too big for his boots. Ah, uh, okay, I get it. Yeah, he needed to be humbled. I was like, oh, okay, you know, fight someone that can punch. Yeah. So, so are you saying if a guy comes from over that way, over UK, and he and he starts to become, I guess, somewhat cocky, the fans won't, the fans won't really, you know, connect with him. Ah, oh, come on, man. We, as a country, we hated Lennox Lewis for a long time. We love him more in retirement than we did when he was in the ring. Same thing with well, Joshua. Um, with Lennox, it was this weird thing where you had a guy banging the drum for Britain with a Canadian accent boxing in America. It was a bit like, what's going on here, people? <laughs> you, know, you know when there's just, there's just a lot of things happening in one moment and we're just trying to process it? Right, right, right. So I think that was the issue with, with Lennox in that sense. But look, I love Lennox Lewis. I, as, as a man, I respect him so much because like, he's come to our gym a few times and he's so humble. Right. Like, he'll just come, he'll, he'll give advice 
Only when asked, though. He doesn't really intervene too much. He just chills. But, but in a world where boxers seem to be taking all kinds of PEDs, Lennox Lewis is one of the few people I look at and go, you're legitimately a big man because he has the biggest hands I've ever seen in my life. Right, right. Like he has real, like, you know when they show you a picture of a lion paw and it's, it's just freakish. His hands, are, you don't even bother trying to shake his hand. You just go, can I have my hand back, please? Right, for sure. <laughs> but no, Lennox is a class act, but Britain just never really took to him. Whereas we took to Frank Bruno. Why? Because Frank Bruno kind of, I mean, the feeling in this country was always that Frank Bruno is one of us. Right. You know, okay. Swing the flag, you know, make a fool of himself every so often. I think in Britain, we like people that make a fool of themselves. I think Khan's problem is Khan was always too serious. And it's only recently as he's kind of matured and he starts to make fun of himself a little bit, the fans have started to love him again. So it's been an interesting journey. As, as fans in this country, Craig was savage. Even when people are doing right. well, we're just like, nah, I'm not feeling that. No, I'm trying to think. Like, I think they call it like a New York crowd. You know, New York crowds are just never impressed. Yeah, New York. Yeah, they can be tough. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, I think the UK is just like that. It's just a tough crowd to please. And then, look, the last thing I wanted to touch on was, and I think people always expect me to talk about this because it's been my, my, my source of pain for about 10 years. How many people are popping for drugs now? It's, it's at the point where you can't take boxing seriously at the top level now because it seems we're only like a week away from another failed drugs test. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, that's what it is. It's, 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 it is exposing boxing for what happens at the top level in this sport. And it's, it's, and the reason is keep go it keeps going on because nobody's being banned for it. Yeah, we give it they handing out a few suspensions, but nobody's being banned for it. Um, and the only time you choose to ban somebody when it's a person like Panama Lewis or you know shit, maybe Panama Lewis is like the last person ever banned from boxing because it it's just I don't know it's being accepted honestly because. If, I, if if a kid if a kid stabs a kid with a pencil in school, and I give him a week suspension, and then another kid does it and I give him a week suspension, but then there's another kid who gets found with say marijuana in his bag and then I kick him out of school, the kids are going to always they're going to keep stabbing you with pencils. You know what I mean? Because that offense is being taken like lightly. They only giving you suspension. They're not kicking nobody out of the sport. And the reason they're not kicking nobody out of the sport is because the guys who are being caught, some of the bigger guys are the bigger names and they bring in money. So because they bring in money, they find excuses. Canelo's famous excuse was he didn't know it was in the beef that he was eating. But he knew what he was eating. So it's just, you know, that's the game. It's crazy. So there's an interesting example in this country. So there's a there's a boxer. He boxed the middleweight. His name was Liam Cameron. Really talented mm -hmm. kid. Could crack. Could really, really bang. He got found with traces of cocaine in his system. Yep. And 
it was the sort of trace amounts where you you could just pick that up if if it was if it was on a table and your fingers had touched the table and maybe you'd wiped your nose. So that's sort of contamination level. Right. Four year ban. Yep. They hit him with the four year ban. In the meantime, we've had people get caught with Dianabol in their system and so on and so forth. Yep. Yeah, carry on boxing is fine. Don't worry about anything. And it made me realize they don't want to catch the big guys. And the reason they don't want to catch the big guys is they don't want the court case. Nope. They can't afford it. And and you you want me to be honest? I don't trust the whole, the blood testing and the urine testing. I don't trust that system because... Who's to say that the blood or the urine is even making it to the factory or to the scientists or whoever the whoever the fuck is supposed to be testing that shit? Who who's to say that that shit is really getting there? We don't even know if it's making it there, let alone if it's being tested. You know, no, right oh way. no, no. So I don't know if it's different in America, but so here, if you pop on the first test, you have to go to the venue and open your own piss, basically. You have to open your own sample for them to test the B sample. Yeah. That's how they, that, I think that's how they get round that one. But actually, you're right about the blood and urine test because I, I remember I said this a few years ago. There's a gene in Asian people, so like Chinese, Japanese, Korean, I think, where 80% of them don't pop for tests. Like they just can't, you can put steroids in them, they get rid of the metabolites in a way that can't be detected, so they never fail drugs tests. Right. So these guys, like, you, you, if ever you see how, look, look at China. China's dominating the weightlifting. So what they do is they just test you for that gene. If you have that gene, they'll give you whatever they want, knowing that you will not fail a drugs test. Mm. And there's no way, they don't, have a, they don't have a solution to the problem, but they don't talk about it. Understood. It's, it's, and I don't know about you, like, I, I sit there and I look at fighters and I talk to fighters now and I just say, I can't even tell you to stay clean anymore because I can't guarantee you're going to fight people who are clean. I just can't. Right. Look, Greg, for $50, right, you could get three months worth of testosterone. That's your count. That's your $50. And if you dose it right, and I don't want to give people the, the secrets to it, but if you dose it right, you'll never pop. It, mm. the, the only time you pop for it is if, if you just put in like 400 milligrams in a week and then it just throws your body out of sync. But there are ways that you can manage your dosing that you, you, you don't, you're not detected. Right. That's what's scary right now. Because, and... The, if you go to the origins of boxing, so go back to the early days when guys like Tommy Morrison and allegedly Roy Jones were taking steroids in like the early 90s. Right. They were taking the bodybuilding doses, right? Which isn't what you need when you're boxing. You don't need that level of, you don't need that. So nowadays what they've realized is you can get by on smaller amounts and it's enough for you to, to outperform anyone in a boxing ring. And that's what they do. They do it in... In some of these Far Eastern countries, for the amateurs, that's what they do religiously. Mm. Don't be, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens in Cuba. And I wouldn't be surprised if a, a lot of that's happening in the UK. I, I'm, 
I'm confident that there's something like that happening in the UK where they've just said, listen, if you really want to win a gold medal, you've got to eat these sweeties. <laughs> That's the only way you can describe it. It's like, yeah, eat these sweeties. But boxing's that sort of sport where they'll never, they'll never do anything about it because it just gives us more freaks and boxing loves to sell freaks. So much money. Yeah, you know, look at, look at, look at the people you'd put in your top ten of all time, and how many of them have failed drugs tests. Nah, that's funny. That's true. Yeah, and then I don't want to hear these people say, "What about the guys in the seventies? Because you know, the guys in the seventies were taking anything they could as well. It just wasn't banned back then. Yeah, barely was getting tested. Yeah, they were getting tested. All the things like when Muhammad Ali was like, "Yeah, I was just taking liver pills." What the hell are liver pills? I've never heard about liver pills. Right. Do you see what I mean? That all all of these sorts of things. And it's hard to tell people to stay clean now where you're like, oh, I don't know if the guy you're fighting is going to be clean or not. Right. Shit is crazy, man. Ah, man. I... But look, it is what it is. I... Uh, but we always have to keep banging the drum because we need to expose the people who are who are actually putting your, people's lives in danger. Right. Do you see what I mean? But, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Well, one thing I did want to touch on as well before we wrap up is your impending return to the ring. Do we know when? Because you're yeah. meant to box before the end of the year. Yes, sir. And that didn't happen. Yeah, I was trying to, but nothing really came across nothing good and I think that's the side that that's the side that people don't really see like you know when someone's like look I'm ready to go you just get me a fight get me someone I can get my my teeth stuck into please and then the phone goes quiet yeah. and, be, and no one ever talks about that part of it because fans don't care well I, I don't think fans don't care fans aren't aware of it but if they were they'd care because it's not a great process that's true because I imagine, you know, you're there, you know, you spend all that time in the gym and really it's hard to spend time in the gym if you don't know what you're doing it for. And as soon as you've got it in your head that you want to fight at a certain point, if it doesn't come off, man, it's a, it can be a hard blow. That's true. So we're going to see you out first half of the year? Uh, maybe. I got I got something on the table, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> you got to drop that, you got to drop 25 pounds, man. Yeah, for sure. I definitely will. <laughs> oh, man. Listen. Might be 35. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. No, but listen, Greg, as always, you know, probably draw a line here, but I re look, I always appreciate you giving your time to to the listeners because I think you give you give a really good insight into into boxing. You put it in words that I probably can't even put it into. And it's important. I think like when you're a boxing fan and you've got platforms like Twitter and Instagram, it's very easy to to say the wrong thing about the sport, especially say the wrong thing to the wrong people. But the better informed boxing fans are in general, I think the better the discussion. And so things like this are very important. That's why I'm really grateful for your time. And I, and I invite everyone listening to this, follow Greg on Instagram at greghackett86. Find him on Facebook because he will do some really interesting videos. There's one, 
actually there's there's a few that I've just listened from end to end because you know they were educational so they they just honestly guy worth following really fascinating really knows his stuff like you know you know for for the British listeners you know there's a lot of bullshit in terms of podcasts and blogs and whatnot this man's the truth so please you know follow him get behind him support him and anytime you want us to get back together, man, just, I mean, you guys just hit the bat phone and we'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate that. Appreciate that a million. Nah, listen, anytime, man. I really appreciate it, Greg. Thanks very much. Thank you. Okay.